The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Thank you, ladies. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to John chapter 4. Some of y'all are going to get a double dose this morning because some of you studied this in Sunday school. Uh, In the last service, I had the joy of preaching this and in the 8 o'clock service. And most of those folks went to Sunday school and heard it after they heard the sermon. So you probably already heard a lesson on this, but... We're doing this for a reason. We want you to be saturated with what it means to have conversational evangelism as part of your life. I think in the years ahead, this will be the most important thing the church does. Uh, The day of us having a big visitation program where we meet at the church and get cards and go out and knock on doors, uh, it's hard to do that now. Uh, Many people are not at home. Uh, Some people don't want to be bothered. Some people, on many occasions, I've stood at the door, heard a television on inside, and nobody opened the door. And I knew they were there. They knew I was there, but they didn't want me to come in. And so uh, we, we need to learn how to share our faith in conversations with other people. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. If you found John chapter 4 and you're able to stand, please join me in standing. And we show our respect for the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the living God. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, as we come to this lesson today, we're doing this in conjunction with my hope with Billy Graham, and I hope that if you've signed up, uh, you'll pick up one of those sheets today out in the gathering area because it tells you how to get the DVD that will be sent out from the Billy Graham headquarters, and I hope many of you are planning to do that. I think that this may be the last great evangelistic thrust that we in America see unless God intervenes. With what I see happening in America today, uh, with the rise of the rabid anti-theists, I don't call them atheists anymore because they're anti-theists, and with the nonchalance of the general public about religion, uh, I'm afraid this is America's last best hope. And I think, as the girls so beautifully sang a moment ago, uh, we are the city on a hill. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, because he is the light of the world and his light is in us, we become the light of the world. So we need to learn how to share our faith in conversations because less and less we'll be able to do visitations and things like that uh, because people are just not open to that much anymore. Uh, Luke Cawley wrote this in, a, in, a, in an article about conversational evangelism. He said, the message about Jesus is good news, and like all good news, it is most naturally and effectively shared in interpersonal conversations. You know, you can tell what's important to people by what they talk about, what they spend money on, and where they invest their time. And I hope you've realized that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important organism on the earth. It's not an institution, it's an organism. It is a living body. The church is the body of Christ. Now, I'm not telling you that this church is the only body of Christ. I cannot tell you that because that's not scriptural. Everybody who knows Jesus, who's been saved, is a part of the body of Christ. And every church that preaches Christ and him crucified in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is a part of the body of Christ. And it is not an organization, it is an organism. It is a living, breathing body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for us to reach out, we need to learn how to share our faith in conversation. And so there are several things we need to do. And Jesus gives us tremendous examples in the Scripture. Now, Jesus was a preacher. I want to remind you of that. Jesus was the greatest preacher that ever lived. In fact, the greatest sermon I think ever preached is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. In just a few weeks, we'll be in Israel. And one of my favorite places in Israel is the Mount of the Beatitudes because that's where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. In a lot of places in the Holy Land, they have built shrines and, and gaudy-looking buildings to, that really take away from the meaning of where these things happened when Jesus was on earth. But on, on the Mount of the Beatitudes, it's still a mountain. It looks like an amphitheater. You can see the trail that Jesus would have walked up from Capernaum to where he preached the mountain on the mountain to the multitudes that gathered there to him. Jesus knew how to communicate with the masses. But Jesus was also a master communicator one-on-one. -on -one. In fact, in John chapter 3, the chapter before this, you see a conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. The only time in the Bible Jesus ever said, you must be born again, was to Nicodemus. And yet, being born again has become one of the signs of 
true Christian conversion. How many times does Jesus have to say something for it to be true? One time. He told Jesus, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And now, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. If you're not born again, you won't get to heaven. And so it's important we understand whether he was preaching to a multitude or whether he was talking to people one-on-one, Jesus was the master soul winner. And the first thing as we go into conversational evangelism is we need to learn to meet people on purpose. Notice the Bible said he had to travel through Samaria. Now, geographically, he probably didn't have to travel through Samaria. He could have bypassed Samaria. There were two roads he could have gone on that would have bypassed Samaria. But the most direct route was through Samaria. And I don't think John writes here he had to travel through Samaria because of geography. I think it was more or less a mission he was on, and he wanted to carry the gospel to the Samaritans. And so he came to a town called Sychar, and just outside Sychar, even to this day, there's a well known as Jacob's Well. The Samaritans still live there. The Samaritans are pitiful. They're half Jew and half Arab, and the Jews don't have anything to do with them. The Arabs don't have anything to do with them. They're outcasts even today. In fact, there are just a few Samaritans left uh, there in Samaria today, uh, but nobody has anything to do with them. They're an outcast people even today. But Jesus went there to meet this woman on purpose. Now, Jesus had something we don't have. Jesus had supernatural knowledge. He was the son of God. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. Uh, He could see into the hearts and minds of people. He knew what people were thinking because he was God in human flesh. But he went there to meet this woman on purpose. And then he reached out to her with a request. She came with a bucket of water and he said, give me a drink. That was how he started the conversation. Now, to have a conversation with people about Jesus, we have to start somewhere. And the best way to answer or to to start a conversation is to ask a question and listen to their answer. One of my favorite ways to start a a soul-winning conversation, I learned from Dr. Adrian Rogers. Dr. Rogers taught years ago on personal soul-winning that one of the best ways to start a soul-winning conversation is to ask the question, do you ever think about spiritual things? And he was ahead of his time because people today, and young people, you'll recognize this, young people today are not religious, but they're spiritual, and there's a difference. Uh, they, they don't want organized religion. Many young people, uh, and I'm not talking just about teenagers, I'm talking about uh, young people under 30, they don't want to have anything to do with the church because they don't want anything to do with institutional religion, but they want to be viewed as spiritual. And so one of the best ways to open a conversation is, do you ever think about spiritual things? One, one day, Paul and Barbara and Mary and I were going to the Southern Baptist Convention. We got off a plane. And we got in a taxi, and uh, I wanted to witness to the taxi cab driver, and I started the conversation. I said, do you ever think about spiritual things? And I noticed from his name and from where he was from that he was probably Muslim, and he was. And he spent the next 30 minutes telling us why Mohammed was better than Jesus, and he would not allow us to get a word in edgewise. So know that it it may not always be that you can use that one question and get started. Uh, It it did not happen with that man. Uh, But that is a good way to start with most people. Do you ever think about spiritual things? And then one thing I found to be very effective is ask the question. I like to pray for people when I have my devotional time. Uh, Or if we're eating out, I say to our server, Mary and I always thank God for our food, and we ask God to bless our server. Is there anything going on in your life we can pray for you about? 
Uh, we did that last Monday evening at a restaurant not too far from here. In fact, it's up Highway 31. Uh, they had a special that night. You would know I would take Mary there if they had a special. They had a, a meat and two vegetables for $5, and uh, we ate there that night and drank water, and our bill was $10.70. So that was a good deal. If you want to know where it is, come up to me afterwards, and I'll tell you where it is. Uh, but it was a good meal, and the man came up to take our order. I saw his name tag, and I called him by name, and I said, when we get our food, we're going to pray for our, uh, thank God for our food, and we'd like to pray for you. And he said something nobody's ever said to me when I, when I said that. He said, don't waste it on me. Now, I want to tell you, when he said, don't waste your prayer on me, I saw Mary's eyebrows. And I thought, you are fixing to get a sermon from the preacher's wife. (laughs) And uh, Mary told him, she said, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because she said, we really believe that God hears and answers our prayers. And we're going to pray for you. And believe me, it won't be wasted on you. And uh, I'm glad she said that. If I'd have said that, I'd probably made him mad. But Miss Mary could say that in her gentle, sweet way, and it kind of pricked his heart. And he came by later and thanked us for praying for him. It kind of tickles me when I go some places in Pelham now, though. I remember the last time we went to Cracker Barrel, and we asked our server if we could pray for her. And she said, oh, you must go to that church up there on Highway 31. And I said, I do, as a matter of fact. I go to that church. And Mary said, in fact, he's the pastor of the church. He wasn't going to tell you that, but I'll tell on him for you. And she said, you know, a lot of your people come here, and they do that. And, and it blesses me to know that you're listening to what we're encouraging you to do. And, and you say, well, preacher, how can somebody get saved by you just telling them you're going to pray for them? They know you care about them. They know that, and by the way, don't be chintzy with the tip after you've asked to pray for them, all right? <laughs> you know, that's the worst thing you can do. The other night, our meal was $10.70. You say, well, preacher, let's see, $10.70, that'd be about $3 for a tip. Did you tip $3? No, I tipped more than that because that was a special, and that young man worked hard. And, and I, don't want, I don't want him to say, well, that guy prayed for me, but he sure is a tight boy. Uh, you know, I can, and, and yesterday we went out to eat, and somebody bought our, our lunch. We didn't know who it was. We went out to eat at Texas Roadhouse. Again, I had a coupon for free appetizer, so we went to Texas Roadhouse. And uh, while we were there, somebody paid for our meal. We don't know who it was. One of our members paid for our meal. We appreciated them doing that. And, when, and we prayed for the waitress. When she came back, I said, thank you for telling me that somebody prayed, pray, uh, paid for our meal. But I want to tell you this. We believe in passing the blessing on, and I want you to have this. And I gave her a nice tip. And uh, I was able to do that because somebody paid for my meal. I call that passing the blessing along. And you, if you learn to do that, guess what happens? God pours it back on you. When you learn to be a funnel of God's blessings, he'll just pour out his blessings on you all the time. I'm trying to teach y'all a lesson here about, about how God can just use you. I hope you'll listen. Uh, when people serve you, don't just say thank you, but reward them for their service. And if you prayed for them, by all means, give them as generous a tip as you can afford. Because that tells them that you really do care about them. But uh, we, we use that a lot of times. And then uh, sometimes I'll ask people, what is the most important thing in your life? Uh, some people will say, well, the most important thing in my life is my family. Well, that's good, but that's not the best answer. Some people say, well, the most important thing in my life is my job. The most important thing in your life ought to be your relationship with God. And if it's not, then some things need to be changed in your life. And so uh, those are questions you can use. And then one of the ones that I found out talking to atheist works is what do you think happens after we die? When I was a student at New Orleans Seminary, we had a brand new theology professor whose name was Dr. Fisher Humphreys. And uh, Dr. Humphreys was not much older than those of us in his class. 
and he had just earned his Ph.D. from New Orleans Seminary, and he was a great teacher, and I took a class from him called Apologetics. And one of our first assignments was to interview atheists. We had to interview five atheists. Well, I knew if I was going to interview atheists, I had to get off the seminary campus. So one Saturday, I drove down to Jackson Square in New Orleans and sat on a bench with a legal pad, and people would come by, and sometimes they'd just sit down on the bench, and I'd start talking to them. I'd say, uh, my name's Mike Shaw. I'm a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and I'm out here taking a survey. Uh, Do you happen to be an atheist? And uh, within an hour, I met five atheists and had conversations with five atheists. I took 10 pages of legal pad notes talking to the atheists. And I would close my conversation with them with this question. What do you think happens after we die? Do you know what those five atheists said? They said, nothing happens after you die. You're just dead. They bury you and your body rots and nothing else happens. And that's what they believed. Job asked a question in chapter 14 of Job. He said, if a man dies, shall he live again? And Job gave testimony to the fact he thought man would live again. He said, if a tree falls, then a stump will come up, a root will come up out of the stump. Is there no more hope for man than there is a tree? But Jesus gave the definitive answer in John 14 when he said, in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said there is life after death. Well, I wrote up my report and wrote up my paper and turned it in. I got an A on my paper, and Dr. Humphreys asked me after class, he said, I'd like to see your notes if you still have them. I said, I still have them. And he said, would you mind giving them to me? I said, not at all. And so I gave him those 10 handwritten pages of notes. Uh, I made an A in that class. I was glad to get an A in that class. But I tell you, I learned more about talking to people in that class than the other class because it got us off the campus. It got us out where people really were. And you need to know what people think and what they believe because most people now don't have the same worldview they had 40 or 50 years ago. Even now we have more helps in Bible study and things like that. There's less Bible knowledge than there's ever been. So you need to reach out with a request. Ask people open-ending questions. Don't ask them a question they can answer and say yes or no. Uh, How did you become an atheist? What led you to become an atheist? Things like that if you're talking to an atheist. Or what caused you to turn away? From the church, I talk to people all the time that say, I was raised in the church, but I don't go to church anymore. Well, what caused you to turn away from the church? Did some, was it a pastor? And let me tell you this, pastors are human. We make mistakes. Uh, I've made mistakes in this church. God knows that. Now, God knows my heart. I didn't intend to ever hurt anybody. I wouldn't hurt anybody on purpose for anything. But sometimes people are hurt. Uh, You know, when you preach the gospel, sometimes people take offense at what you preach. And people need to understand, I'm not mad at anybody but the devil. I love everybody else, but I have to take a stand on the Word of God. And most people today don't have any idea what the Word of God says about things. Well, secondly is, thirdly, answer the question behind their questions. The woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? What she is really telling him is, I'm really not wanting to have this conversation with you. Uh, I'm uncomfortable. That's why I came here at this time. Now, the, the Holman Christian standard says this was about six in the evening. Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, this is the first translation I found in the Holman Christian Standard I disagree with. But down here at the bottom, it says, uh, uh, 
an, an alternate time reckoning would be noon. I was always taught that she was there at the sixth hour. The Jews normally counted hours in daylight and dark. For example, uh, today, Sunday began at sundown yesterday. So from six until six in the morning is the first half of Sunday. And from six Sunday morning till six Sunday evening is the second half. And Monday begins at six o'clock on Sunday evening to the Jews. And so this woman came to the well. I was always taught at noon because most of the women from the village came at daybreak. They came at six o'clock and they walked out there with water pots on their heads and they went to the well and they drew water and they carried water back to their, their homes where they would use it all through the day for their families. This woman came at noon because she was a social outcast. And that's why she was saying to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And notice what Jesus said. He knew that's what she was doing. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now here he says, if you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? We'll go back to his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is his son. And the gift of salvation is life through his son. Jesus was focusing on salvation with this Samaritan woman. And he said, if you knew, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And then don't get sidetracked from the purpose of sharing the gospel. The woman said, well, is deep. You have no bucket. How can you do that? And Jesus said, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. And the woman said, give me this water so I don't have to come back here anymore. You know why she wanted that water? She didn't have to face the women of the town anymore. She wanted the water that would be living. She wouldn't have to draw water from the well anymore. She was thinking of of physical water. He was talking about spiritual water. But she said, give me this water. And he said to her, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, well, you've told me the truth. He said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. That's why she was at the well at noon instead of in the morning. She had a checkered past, and Jesus knew that. And he confronted that, said, go tell your husband. And then, and then notice she turned to spiritual things, and she said, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I am he, the one speaking to you. Years ago, a group of so-called scholars got together, and they decided they wanted to take everything out of the New Testament that wasn't actually according to their political correct view of the New Testament in there. And so they started on the Gospels of Jesus. And they called their seminar the Jesus Project. And these scholars, liberal scholars, went to the Lord's Prayer. And when they got through with the Lord's Prayer, do you know what the Lord's Prayer said? Our Father, Amen. See, they said everything else in that prayer they thought Jesus didn't say. These same scholars said that Jesus never claimed to be God's son. He never claimed to be Christ. You know the problem with these scholars? They can't even read the Bible. Because Jesus told this woman, I'm God's gift. I'm the Messiah. The one speaking to you is the Messiah. What happened to her? She ran back to Sychar. She told people what had happened to her at the well. A great number of people came back with her, and Jesus talked to them. And what were the results? Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him. 
You see, that's why he had to go through Samaria, because there were many Samaritans who were going to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Now, if you believe that, you're saved. If you don't believe that, you're not saved. And most of the people in the world today don't believe that. Most of the people in America don't believe that. Most of the people in Shelby County, Alabama don't believe that. If they did, things would be different. You know, when I was in seminary, they told us, now, when you do personal work, you're not supposed to preach. When you go into somebody's home and visit them, you're not supposed to preach. You're just supposed to go in there and sit down and have a conversation. I was taught that in seminary. I actually passed that course that taught me how to do conversational soul winning. When I got out of seminary, I went to a little country church in Talladega County called Munford Baptist Church. We had to have a family visiting that's from Munford. And uh, when I went to Munford, and I was on fire, and I'd find somebody that wasn't in church, and I'd go knock on the door of their house, and most of the time they let me in. The three years I was at Munford, I baptized 20 people every year in a little rural church. Uh, God opened many doors for me, and I'm thankful that... that, that uh, God used me to, to win those people to Christ. But there's one experience I'll never forget because I had a man who had visited our church. And I noticed when he came to our church, he had trouble coming in. He was on crutches and his right leg was gone from the knee down. And I wanted to visit him. And I, when I went to visit him, I found out what had happened. He had been driving a, a heavy industrial tractor and that tractor had turned over on him and his leg was pinned under the tractor and to save his life, they had to amputate the lower part of his right leg. And so I went to his house, and I was visiting with him and his wife, and I talked to them. And I found out after we talked for just a few minutes that his wife was a Christian, but that because he had never gone to church with her, she hadn't been in church in years. And I wanted him to be a Christian, so I started sharing my faith with him. And I started, like I started preaching this sermon, I was sitting down when I started and I got so excited about sharing the gospel with this man, knowing he wasn't saved. I, didn't, I don't know when in the gospel presentation I did it, but I got up like I am now. And I, and I was looking him in the face like I'm looking some of you in the face right now. And I forgot all about conversational soul winning, and I started preaching. And I talked about that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but ever have everlasting life. And that everybody's a sinner. We've all strayed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned away. And the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And I went to the cross and I talked about how Jesus bled and I talked about how he died and I talked about how they buried him and I talked about how he rose from the dead. And then right as I was finishing up witnessing the man, I realized I am preaching to this man in his house. I'm not supposed to be doing this. This violates everything I was taught in seminary. They'd flunk me out. I came to myself and I said, I am so sorry. I am so I said, I didn't mean to start preaching to you. He pulled himself up to the edge of his couch. He said, preacher, I like it. Get finished. <laughs> and I said, well, for me to get finished, you've got to be willing to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. He said, I thought you'd never ask me to do that. We got down, I got down on my knees. He got down on his one knee he had left by his couch. And he was crying and I was crying. He prayed the sinner's prayer. 
His wife said, Brother Mike, I need to rededicate my life. Pray for me. I hadn't been a a Christian wife like I should. And I said, all right. The next Sunday, he came down the aisle of the Munford Baptist Church on his crutches. And he told the people at Munford Baptist Church, I trusted Jesus this week as my Lord and Savior. He changed my life. I want to be baptized. Mary, you remember how steep the steps were. And you remember what happened the day he got baptized. I had a deacon that was supposed to come down in the water with him. This man couldn't bring his crutches down in the water, and the steps were steep. And I had a deacon, and I said, now, I want to tell you, deacon, this man, he's going to tell you he doesn't need your help. But I said, if you don't help him, he's going to slide down those steps. He only has one, one foot. And I said, you need to get, get on the steps and help. I said, even if you have to get in the water, he said, oh, preacher, don't worry about it. And he was up at the stop at the top of the steps, and I was standing there at the bottom waiting for the deacon to bring him down to me. And I heard him say to the deacon, I can do this myself. And the deacon, instead of saying, no, no, Brother Mike told me I've got to come down with you, he said, suit yourself. Well, this man slid down those steps, and I got baptized when, when I got him. I, I caught him under the arms here. He didn't head didn't go underwater. Well, within two minutes, his wife was up there looking in the baptistry to see what I'd done to her husband. And she stayed up there while I baptized him. And I want to tell you, that man was there every Sunday. He got in Sunday school. Man, he, he was a great tithe. He was a great church member. And he called me one day, and he said, Preacher, I got five kids. I got a daughter and four sons. And he said, I want you to go with me and tell, me about, tell them about Jesus like you told me about Jesus. I said, man, I'll do it. We went to see his daughter. Guess what happened? His daughter got saved. Her whole family got saved. You see, when you know Jesus, things happen like that in your family. God doesn't do just one work. He continues to do work. But you know what his four sons told me? His four sons said, Preacher, uh, we appreciate you coming over here with Daddy. And we're so glad Daddy got saved. We're glad that Daddy's happy and he's a Christian now. But uh, Preacher, when Daddy was our age, he was still sowing wild oats. And Preacher, we love our mom and Daddy. We're glad they're in church, glad they're happy. And, you know, before we get old... We want to get saved, but we don't want to get saved right now. And I'd see that man sit in church on Sunday and cry. And he told me, he said, Preacher, I wish somebody had come and told me about Jesus years ago. He said, it bothers me that my four boys are saying they're going to wait until what happened to me happens to them. And Preacher, I don't know that they'll live that long. As far as I know, those four boys never came to know Jesus. I don't want to close with a sad story. Let me close with a happy story. Somebody wrote a song about this. It goes like this. There was a thirsty woman. She was drawing from a well. Her life was ruined and wasted. Her soul was bound for hell. But then she met the master, and he told of her great sin. But if you'll drink his water, you'll never thirst again. There is a river, and it flows from God above. There is a fountain that's filled with his great love. 
Oh, come to this water, for there is a vast supply, for there is a river that never shall run dry. And Jesus said, everyone who's thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of the river of life freely. Will you come to the water today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for loving mankind. Even when we've sinned and failed, Lord, even when we've done things that are offensive to you, you still love us. And Father, I thank you for the grace that saved a Samaritan woman. I thank you for the grace that saved a 16-year-old boy in a cornfield in Walker County in 1964. I thank you for the grace that saved a little boy today in the earlier service right here in this sanctuary. And Father, if there are those here today who don't know Jesus, there are those here today who are thirsty for that living water, let them come and fill their cup at the fountain of your love provided through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Father, let those who are lost be saved. Let those who are saved make decisions about following the Lord in discipleship and baptism. And Father, if there's someone here who just wants to come to the altar, maybe they've got lost loved ones. Maybe there's someone that they need to witness to and they've not been willing to do it. Lord, let this be the day when they realize you've commanded all of us to be witnesses for you. And Father, may we take that command seriously. And now, Father, as we give this invitation, this is not my invitation or the invitation of the church. It's the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, may those who are lost and heavy laden come to Jesus and find rest today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.